Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And I have to say this, on your screen right now, Games Workshop and what they are doing with their intellectual property has unexpectedly to me been my most requested topic for a number of weeks now. So thank you for everyone who reached out to ask me to discuss this. Activision Blizzard, some other stories popped up that I felt had to take precedence due to their significance at the time, but I'm very happy to be able to talk with you about this now. Now, for those of you that aren't familiar with Games Workshop, they are a British company, so I'm an American lawyer. I can only say so much about British law, but we can look at some of the resources that are made available to us about how British intellectual property works against how United States intellectual property works. They are a company that makes the tabletop role-playing games Warhammer and Warhammer 40,000, among other things. The Wikipedia describes them as such. Games Workshop Group, often abbreviated as GW, is a British manufacturer of miniature war games based in Nottingham, England. Its best-known products are Warhammer Age of Sigmar and Warhammer 40,000. And if you might be wondering, if you're a video gamer, and that's why you're in virtual legality, how those Warhammer games come to be, it's not from Games Workshop directly. It is instead scrolling down and down and down and down. There's a very big Wikipedia entry. Actually, Games Workshop licensing out the rights to use their intellectual property to people who specialize in making video games. And that's actually not always a bad policy. If you make tabletop role-playing games and war games, that doesn't mean you're necessarily going to be good at programming video games. A lot of companies have figured this out, right? Insomniac doesn't own Spider-Man. Disney and Marvel said, go make an Insomniac game with Spider-Man and... 13 million copies were sold. So Games Workshop licenses out their rights to intellectual property to all these different game companies. And uh, they have a very robust selection of Warhammer games of, in my experience, really all qualities and kinds. And this licensing is a result of using the copyright intellectual property rights that they have in their works. In the United States, as we've discussed, it looks like this. Subject to sections 107 through 122, the owner of a copyright under this title has the exclusive rights to do and to authorize any of the following. Reproduce the copyrighted work. Prepare derivative works based upon the copyrighted work. Distribute copies of the copyrighted work. Perform them publicly. Display them publicly, etc., etc. And if we go and we look at the gov.uk website on how British copyrights work, we see something similar. Copyright prevents people from copying your work, distributing copies of it, renting or lending copies, performing, making an adaptation, putting it on the internet, etc. So we expected this. The Western countries have a kind of tradition of intellectual property protection. Britain and the United States often have very parallel sets of rules and laws on this. So Games Workshop has intellectual property in what they make, Warhammer, Warhammer 40,000. They license it out to video game companies and you get things like Total War Warhammer, which is actually made by a company called Creative Assembly. At the same time, however, you get unlicensed works that are based around this very popular intellectual property, such as if the emperor had a text-to-speech device, which was actually raised to me by a number of people I'm not familiar with this series, except here in this entry, if the emperor had a text-to-speech device, sometimes simply referred to as TTS, is a YouTube series created by Alpha Busa as a parody of the Warhammer 40,000 franchise. And so you've got animations and Warhammer videos that are being done because people are fans of these things. And as we've talked about in this space, it's not unusual for fans of something to make artwork, to make stories. That's where fan fiction comes from as a phrase. But it is potentially, from the legal side of things, 
at best, a little bit of a gray area, and at worst, pretty clear infringement of their rights, which creates a problem if you're Games Workshop and you want to announce a new subscription service for the things that you want to show people. Warhammer Plus, as they say, is set to be one of the biggest things to ever happen to the Warhammer hobby, and today we're going to blow the lid off of it and tell you everything. This is Games Workshop speaking through their website here. In short, with a Warhammer Plus subscription, you'll get a wealth of Warhammer animation, weekly in-house Warhammer hobby shows, and much, much more. Subscribe now. And like other Plus services that are made by other companies, when you start to make a market in your own materials, a wealth of Warhammer animation, you start to look a little bit against the people that are otherwise making things that could otherwise deplete your market interest. So as any given copyright holder with some lawyers is wont to do, they change their intellectual property policies. Or as PC Gamer reports here, Games Workshop is trying to shut down fan animations. And that's part of it. That's truthful. But we also have to discuss what they're doing in their policy on the whole, which in virtual legality is what we do. So let's take a look at their new intellectual property guidelines. Now, a couple of things are going to jump out here. We are definitely going to get to the animation aspect and the video game aspect, which is coming from both directions for folks that make things like animated content on YouTube and mods to video games like Total War Warhammer and Warhammer 2. We're also going to look through all the language used because there are some things that we've seen in this space in virtual legality that I think are going to jump out at you if you've talked with us about largesse and about how intellectual property rights work in circumstances like Twitch and elsewhere. And I think it's important for folks to get an understanding of what this does and doesn't do. So unfortunately, this document doesn't actually have an updated date. That's what we like to see in guidelines like this. But we can assume based on the reporting that I looked at as part of researching this video that the update was about three weeks ago when discussing these concepts at Games Workshop. So let's take a look at their statement. Games Workshop has been designing and selling miniatures and games for over 40 years. Our design studios have worked hard to create the unique settings and characters that are enjoyed by our fans all over the world. We love to see fans enjoying all things Warhammer. I love seeing a sentence like that in a policy like this because you know the next thing is but, right? We love to see fans enjoying all things Warhammer. We also have a duty to preserve and protect our intellectual property rights. This is the only way we can ensure that Warhammer will be around forever. Technically speaking, it's the only way they can ensure that Warhammer will be around forever under their control. But I digress. Our goal is to do this while continuing to support the passion and creativity of our fans. We will level with you. This is a difficult balancing act. So you've got here right up front in their statement, the notion that clearly they're going to be taking some rights away. They're going to be tightening up the noose in respect to their intellectual property. You know that just from this kind of preamble. You also know that they're at least making the right noises that they still want to encourage fan behavior because as we found with places like Twitch and YouTube and Facebook and elsewhere, in general, a lot of hobbyist platforms, whether they're physical or whether they're video games, can benefit just from the free marketing that comes from having their product out there, even if technically it's a copyright infringement, right? And copyright infringement doesn't mean that the company that owns the copyright has to come against you. It just means that they could if they wanted to, which is how you get this phrase that you heard me say in the video and earlier in the series, undoubtedly, which is largesse. The concept that Games Workshop or Electronic Arts or Activision or whomever allows for infringement by their leave through their largesse because it helps them. 
And when it suddenly doesn't help them, when, say, they want to market a plus subscription service that could be seen as a market competitor to those free animations you're putting out there into the world, well, then they could potentially use their intellectual property infringement rights against you if they so choose. And that's what we see here. So whatever exciting Warhammer hobby activities you are working on, we ask that you follow the below guidelines at all times. By doing so, we can all continue to enjoy all things Warhammer for a long time to come. Aren't we all on board? These guidelines do not constitute formal approval or authorization of any fan content or a waiver of our legal rights. We reserve the right to change these guidelines at any time. Now you can see I've highlighted that one sentence in red. I think it's pretty easy to skip for people, but this is important. When we talk about what rights you are granted, when a copyright holder has exclusive rights to do things like make derivative works, it's important if you're going to go and make your livelihood, potentially make a lot of money, make it your job to make mods or to make animations based on another's universe for you to actually go and get the legal rights to do those things. Instead, what we see so often in this space, and Games Workshop is no different here, is not a license of the right to make fan fiction, hobby books and magazines, animations, videos, whatever it might be. Instead, it's a kind of tacit acknowledgement that this is all probably infringement. These guidelines do not constitute formal approval or authorization. So it's all probably still infringement, but we're going to announce to you that we're unlikely to do anything about it. And I say unlikely because they have some pretty big umbrella terms we'll see in these policies already, but it's important to note when you're thinking about, hey, should I make that fan content? Should I do this thing? That there's a difference between getting the right to make fan fiction, for instance, in the license itself, the relationship that you have with the copyright holder and them just telling you, eh, we're unlikely to sue you over these things because unlikely to sue you over these things can change at any time. We reserve the right to change these guidelines, sure, but they don't even need to change them in order to just say, eh, that's infringement that we don't like and now we're going to take action. You say, hey, I was operating under your guidelines. I complied with them. And they say, well, these guidelines, they didn't constitute formal approval or authorization. So here we are in court. Now let's look at the actual language used. This is going to be copied over in a number of areas. We see fan fiction, hobby books, and magazines, written word for the most part. Individuals may write their own stories, but these must not include text, artwork, or imagery copied, which makes sense. You can't take things directly from the stuff that Games Workshop is making and selling. Be non-commercial, including all forms of fundraising. So you can't have a Patreon. You can't have a Kickstarter. You can't be raising money to make this fan fiction. You can't sell it once it's made. You can't publicly distribute it except for no charge digital distribution, which I think in 2021 basically means you can publicly distribute it as long as it's just on the internet. Uh, but that gets a little bit confusing just from that bullet point. Make it clear that the stories are unofficial, including having the word unofficial prominently on the front cover. And here's your umbrella term. Not be prejudicial to the goodwill, reputation, or integrity of Games Workshop or its intellectual property. And that, my friends, doesn't mean anything legally. There's no standard to base what is prejudicial to the goodwill of Games Workshop on. If you make a political commentary, is it prejudicial? Maybe. If you put characters from Warhammer in a compromising position, maybe. If it's something completely different that just offends the sensibility of some vice president at Games Workshop, maybe. So now you're looking at a policy that already doesn't give you formal approval or authorization, and you have to comply with a bullet point that is basically incapable of compliance because you can't read their mind and you don't know what will be prejudicial to the goodwill, reputation, or integrity of Games Workshop 
or it's intellectual property. We see the same issue with respect to art. So this was the written word. Here's the art. Can't include something copied. All the same rules. Not be prejudicial to the goodwill, reputation, or integrity of Games Workshop. Fan sites are slightly different. They can create their own fan sites, but you can't include copies of things Games Workshop put together. You have to make it clear that it's unofficial. You can't post or display rules or stats copied from any official Games Workshop material. That's potentially hard when you're talking about a war game and things along those lines. And of course, you can't be prejudicial to the goodwill, reputation, or integrity of Games Workshop. Now, what you might not have seen there is anything related to video games or animations. That's because they aren't specifically authorized in any of these sections. Underlying rights, please be aware that where fan content is created based on our settings and characters, Games Workshop retains ownership in respect of the underlying intellectual property rights in those worlds. And that's almost goes without saying. You should say it if you're putting together a policy like this. But when you make a derivative work based on somebody else's universe, you didn't come into ownership of the universe itself. You made something new. And therefore, such fan content cannot be sold or otherwise monetized. Now, that's kind of a separate concept from who owns the underlying intellectual property rights. But certainly, Games Workshop has made clear now in a number of bullet points that they don't want it sold. They don't want it funded through fundraising platforms. Infringements. We have a zero tolerance policy in respect of infringement of our intellectual property rights. This includes counterfeit models. Our products must not be reproduced and sold. Imitation models. Our products must not be imitated. Imitators produce models which copy heavily from Games Workshop's artwork, books, or products. Now, that's getting into a legal kind of concept, certainly in Britain and in the United States, where you can have things that are inspired by something else. Imitation is stronger, but it's not clear where that line is for fan creators. And when you're looking at a policy like this, this should scare the heck out of you if you're in the business and making Warhammer stuff, because they're not setting guidelines that are fairly understood by you, and you'd have to hire a lawyer to know whether you could even win the case, let alone survive the lawsuit that might be coming along with any cease and desist letter. Recasting and 3D printing. Our products must not be illegally recast or scanned, nor should digital designs of our products be illegally produced and distributed. Illegal downloads, our publications, audiobooks, and other material protected by copyright must not be illegally uploaded. All these make sense so far. Unauthorized use of our trademarks. Unauthorized use or registration of our trademarks in respect to similar products or services is not permitted. I'd be very interested in seeing where the registration of our trademarks language came in. Did somebody actually try to register something like Warhammer in a different jurisdiction against Games Workshop? That would be interesting to find out. And then, of course, what all the stories are about here. These last two bullet points. Fan films and animations. Individuals must not create fan films or animations based on our settings and characters. These are only to be created under license from Games Workshop. Similarly, individuals must not create computer games or apps based on our characters and settings. These are only to be created under license from Games Workshop. So you get into this situation where you do have what is told to me, and I apologize, I'm not really in this universe, is a robust setting for animations and fan work and people really invested in the universe now being told pretty much out of the blue that they can't do that anymore unless it's done under direct license from Games Workshop. And that goes for games as well. Now, games is an interesting question because you see reference here in this document to creating games or apps. You don't really see reference to things like mods, which is why you also get certain amounts of confusion, which were linked to me in places like Reddit, where we see a article with 6,000 upvotes. It says Games Workshop is going after Total War modding Patreons as part of their crackdown. 
says, hello everyone, Team Radius here. Today we have important news for you, so please take the time to read the announcement below. In line with the recent change of Games Workshop policy on their intellectual property rights management, particularly in relation to the monetization of fan-made content, we have been respectfully asked to remove links to our Patreon from the Warhammer and Warhammer 2 Workshop pages. Now, you'll see some refutation of all this, as well as it's Reddit, some disrespect for the actual original poster here. So it's an open question as to whether that's actually happening or not. And you have Creative Assembly who, remember, in-licensed the rights to use Games Workshop intellectual property to make Total War Warhammer, essentially point people back to this policy. It says, other Tom CA, and I believe it was the modding Discord. Hi, all. I know there are a lot of questions relating to modding for Total War Warhammer right now. I wanted to assure you that the stance has not changed in any fundamental way from what was outlined back in 2016 here, which is this on the wiki.totalwar.com page, which says, in addition to the above guidance on how to make mods, bear in mind that Total War Warhammer contains IP owned by Games Workshop, and as a result, you should consider the following when creating mods for this title. And they have these bullets, which are apparently from five years ago, that say things like, when uploading Warhammer mods to the Steam Workshop, you'll need to confirm you've read the section on mods in the game's end user license agreement, sure. Please ensure your mod meets the requirements laid out in that agreement, especially with regard to the treatment of Games Workshop and Total War IP, and ensuring that no third-party IP is present. Can't bring in Lord of the Rings and Warhammer at the same time, or Star Wars and Warhammer, whatever it might be. Do not include or alter content in a way that is offensive or denigrating to the world of Warhammer fantasy battles. And that's that same kind of umbrella term that we were just analyzing. What does it mean to be prejudicial? What does it mean to be offensive or denigrating? Uh, that's going to be up to Games Workshop. They're always going to be able to wield that hammer against a given content creator. And please only include Warhammer Fantasy Battles content in your mods. Other Games Workshop IP like Age of Sigmar or Warhammer 40,000 is separate and is often licensed to other companies or used in other games. And it is not permitted to charge or ask for money for your Total War Warhammer mods. Now that last bullet isn't as conclusive as what Games Workshop just put out, which is it doesn't talk about fundraising to get them created which, if you're really in the business of putting angels on the head of a pen, you could argue is not actually selling the content in question, but funding its creation in a manner that maybe could squeak by a bullet like that. Certainly it doesn't squeak by once fundraising is called out in these particular areas, but mods themselves aren't referenced in this bullet point. Games and apps aren't exactly mods, and certainly if it came down to it, it's unclear on which side of the spectrum a given mod for an existing licensed game title would fall. That being said, you had content creators in the Warhammer space take what I thought was a reasonable position on all of this, which is for series like text-to-speech device, you've got instances where they say, I'm returning to Twitter for a brief second to post this horrible, horrible thing we had to make, and a video that says, essentially, I'm going to stop here because the risk is too great. Because I've now got a policy in front of me from Games Workshop that says, if you make animations and you aren't licensed by us, we are going to deem it an infringement. Does that mean they are going to act out against all of these existing content creators and anybody else that makes animations right off the get-go? It does not. It means that this is essentially a signal that you are infringing on their content and they aren't giving you the kind of tacit promise that they won't sue you that they're doing up here. But it's important to note in its overall context, 
that they never promised that they wouldn't sue anybody. These guidelines do not constitute formal approval or authorization. All of that, this line in particular says, do it at your own risk. Here, we're going to provide some rules where we think we're going to be okay if we look at your fan site or your work of fiction or your artwork, and we'll probably be fine with it. But we reserve the right to determine, hey, that was prejudicial to our goodwill. By the time we don't like something, our executives have already determined it's hurtful to us in some way. That's almost a fait accompli when you're discussing these kinds of things. So overall, a guidelines document like this offers almost no cover for somebody that Games Workshop decides isn't doing something that they want them to do, even with the stuff that is expressly permitted in these guidelines because it isn't otherwise authorized. So you get down to here and they say, well, this stuff is specifically an infringement and I can't blame anybody for simply pulling up and saying, I can't support this universe anymore. And I have no doubt that people that have devoted time and attention to it feel nothing but sadness in that regard. And you can call out Games Workshop and say, this isn't something that should be done. And maybe the voice of the people will get them to change that. But right now they're in the business of selling a subscription service and it will take some time for them to determine whether or not they've hurt or helped their overall universe in doing these things with their rules. Now, the last thing I wanted to leave you with is it's not obvious that something like Emperor Text-to-Speech is going to run afoul of Games Workshop's copyrights. I haven't seen the series, but it's described as a parody. And in general, parodies are going to be permitted under what we talk about in this space as fair use. In fact, we just did a video on fair use yesterday. And that video was about the Olympics and the Olympic Committee and Twitter and whether or not they could have a DMCA takedown here in the United States against somebody that was using Olympic broadcasts and how it was probably the case because a simple reaction video where you don't react very much isn't transformative, isn't following all these rules that allow you to get to fair use. But even in Britain, the concept of parody of character, of pastiche, as the UK government website says, is protected. There's an exception to copyright that permits people to use limited amounts of copyright material without the owner's permission for the purpose of parody, character, caricature, or pastiche. For example, a comedian may use a few lines from a film or song for a parody sketch. A cartoonist may reference a well-known artwork or illustration for a caricature. An artist may use small fragments from a range of films to compose a larger pastiche artwork. It is important to understand, however, that this exception only permits use for the purposes of caricature, parody, or pastiche to the extent that it is fair dealing which appears to be the British conception of fair use. Fair dealing is a legal term used to establish whether a use of copyright material is lawful or whether it infringes copyright. There is no statutory definition of fair dealing. Very helpful, right? When you're sitting across the desk from a lawyer. Well, is this fair dealing? Is this fair use? Well, depends on the judge. It will always, as this website says, be a matter of fact, degree, and impression in each case. Factors that have been identified by the courts as relevant in determining whether a particular dealing with the work is fair include, does using the work affect the market for the original work? If a use of a work acts as a substitute for it, causing the owner to lose revenue, then it is not likely to be fair. Is the amount of the work taken reasonable and appropriate? Was it necessary to use the amount that was taken, etc., etc.? And these line up pretty conveniently with the four factors that are included in the United States copyright fair use provision. So what you've got is a situation where maybe something like this could survive. But if somebody that was making a video like this, an animation like this, came and sat in front of my desk, I say, nobody can guarantee you what's going to happen with this. So I don't blame anybody for simply saying, I can't brook what Games Workshop has put out there. They've said this is going to be found to be infringing. And in order for me to actually make this video and survive all of this, 
What we're talking about in that instance is a games workshop that sues me for making that video and that maybe at the end of the day, I win that lawsuit because I can show that it was parody or satire or other fair use or fair dealing or whatever you want to call it in the jurisdiction you're talking about it in. And at that point in time, I've spent money. I've probably had takedown notices. I've had my channel or videos threatened and I've paid some lawyer a lot of funds in order to defend me on something that I may or may not win. So a lot of folks asked me to talk about this. I'm very thankful that you did. I got to look at this issue. It's a lot like some of the things we've seen in video games now for a little while. It's going to come down to that Warhammer Plus kind of concept. It's clear that they're acting on their intellectual property in this fashion because they think it would affect the market for what they want to sell to their fans. I don't know what the licenses would wind up looking like for making those same videos with Games Workshop. For people that do make those videos and are otherwise stopping, I recommend at least having the conversation. What does a license with you cost? What are you going to do that's going to give me that safe harbor and protection for continuing to do what I already do? And maybe that conversation will be fruitful. Maybe it won't. But much like in the world of video games, we've now got a circumstance where you're looking at somebody that doesn't appear to be as fan-friendly as some other publishers and some other intellectual property holders have found is fruitful for their overall enterprise. And it will be interesting to see what, if anything, comes out of Warhammer Plus and this particular intellectual property change in the future. This has been Virtual Legality for today. If you enjoyed talking about the business and law of technology, Warhammer games, video games, pop culture, and the rest. Please consider supporting us. We do have Patreon and other methods of support shown in the description to this video or otherwise just subscribing, telling your friends, upvoting, downvoting, leaving comments, telling folks we're having these conversations is enormously helpful. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.